Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Yes, hey, welcome. It's another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. With me, as always, is Ellie Mistal. Although he's not with me, he's over the miracle of the internet. Where the hell did those people come from? What? Oh, no, that, I mean... The clapping people. Well, because they knew that it was the beginning of the show, you know, so they were excited. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So you're doing this in front of a uh, a live canned audience. Is that is that what I'm to understand? Yeah, I mean, you know, we they can hear you too if you want to say anything uh, interesting or funny no. or whatever. No, because you're just hitting a button. Those aren't real people. You're just hitting a button. <laughs> I feel like Zoolander right now. <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Hey guys, guess what? Yes, I got a promotion. You did? You'd have thought I would have heard. <laughs> <laughs> I am the new executive editor of Above the Law. Ooh. <laughs> oh my god, those sounds are gonna be so annoying. <laughs> so, 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 what's the job title again? Yeah, executive editor of Above the Law, and. <laughs> We really need to get past this part quickly because I have my whole thing that I want to grind on. Go for and it. The more you hit those buttons, the more you're inspiring me to switch my whole open right now <laughs> to complain about you. So Fair enough. let's avoid that um, and let's talk about me. All right. So what I'm pissed off about today is I got this promotion, which is awesome. But because I have two children... That means that I now have a childcare deficit. See, in my old job, where it wasn't really a real job, it was totally okay for me to have two kids um, while I worked. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, for those who don't know. And that's fine, because I didn't really have a real job. My wife has a real job. I didn't have a real job. It all worked out. We had enough childcare. But now that I have a more real job, we have a deficit in childcare, and it's very frustrating and it's very annoying and it makes me think about how just poorly our society is set up to accept or acknowledge or help at all a two working parent family, right? Like we're our society is still fundamentally based around the concept that one parent is going to be at home all the time fucking fishing Cheerios out of your kid's shirt while the other parent goes off and makes all the money. And this like radical concept that's been with us since, I don't know, 1920, where both parents work, um, is still not something that our society, um, that our professional society, has progressed to the point where it understands. And I don't know why that is. Uh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so um, that was... Uh... You, don't, you, you don't find that to be... I mean, I know you don't have children, but like you don't find that to be a fundamental problem? Well, sure. Like it but... should be possible for me to both have a real job and my wife have a real job and for us to be able to take care of our children, right? Like that's that should be maybe not easy, 
but certainly easier, right? Right. I mean, it, this is not particularly radical conversation topic, right? There have been moves for increased family and medical leave in this country as well as in other countries where they actually have this sort of thing for years. So this isn't really trudging any new ground. Uh, it is, yeah, But I'm a, I'm a man having this conversation, which makes it more radical. Oh, 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 I forgot that uh, when a man has the conversation, it's all of a sudden important. It's all of a sudden the problem, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that isn't that what I've been promised and told? It may well have been. However, um, yeah, we'll yeah, well, let's just blow right by that rather than dwell because it it leads into the topic of the day. I think, uh, which is you've got a you promotion. think wait you think you think that's how it leads in. I mean, <laughs> press your button to give me a goddamn applause. Oh, um, I, they they no. didn't like that as much. So listen, um, what I think has happened though is. The reason I say I think is, I, as you well know, we have vague senses of our scripts, but, you know, we, we're we loose. That's why we're entertaining and fun. So at the end of the day, I don't know where this conversation's all going to go, but we know where it's going to start, which is we're going to bring in Catherine Rubino, who works with us at Above the Law, but she also has kind of a new role in this redefining thing. While you've talked about yours, she has a new role. It relates to this discussion that you were just having, so it seems like a perfect time. Well, hold on. Let's actually, you know what it strikes me? I probably need to take a break. No right more goddamn buttons. Yeah, no. I forgot. No, 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 no buttons. I just needed to take a break, you know, so that we can, you know, do the. Oh, yeah. To yeah, make yeah. money. Right. Oh, yeah. sorry. No. I'll, I'll start right. now. Cool. Do that. Hi, this is Bob Ambrogi. I've been writing, podcasting, and speaking about legal technology for over two decades. Monica Bay and I co-host a show called Law Technology Now, where we interview experts behind the newest legal tech. Tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, or at LegalTalkNetwork.com to learn why technology is improving the legal industry for lawyers, their clients, and everyone as it brings us closer to access to justice for all. And we're back. Catherine's here. Hey. Hey, how are you? Hi, Catherine. Hey, how are you doing? We're good. So... Ellie told us all about the work that he's doing. And while we all, as a functional matter, still do the same thing we always did at Above the Law, but one of the new tasks that have been added that you, know, you the readers, don't necessarily see, Ellie's talked about some of the tasks that he has that you don't necessarily see from the outside. You also have some tasks that actually people might be able to notice. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, here at Above the Law, we've launched um, kind of a, a subgroup of ATL called the Jabot. For those of you who aren't legal geeks, jabots are the uh, decorative necklaces that uh, Supreme Court justices often wear with their robes, most famously by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's a doily, um, basically. Not always, actually. In fact, the specific jabot that our logo is built around is actually RBG's Descent Jabot, which actually has a bunch of jewels and it's actually no lace at all, but it is very distinctive and she tends to wear it when she gives her descents from the bench when she reads them out loud. So we named ourselves after that because uh, we wanted to create a group that was focused around issues that women, people of color, LGBTQ, trans folk, um, all sorts of people who are traditionally excluded from society or, or maybe uh, marginalized in some way, uh, but were still uh, lawyers or involved in the legal profession. So we could kind of have a place to gather and write stories that were of particular interest to us. 
Where does this reside? I mean, obviously, it's drawing a lot of stories from above law, but there's some more to it than that. Oh, yeah. We yeah. have obviously uh, we pull a lot from our ATL stuff. There's a, a little sub page on ATL you can go to, too. That's just ATL slash the Jabot. We also have a Facebook group. Um, so if people are interested, you can check us out. Um, it is a closed group. But, you know, assuming you're not here to troll us. We will approve your membership, but you know it is also important to build community, particularly um, with groups that have been marginalized. So we want to make sure that we have a closed space so that it is a supportive environment where people can honestly discuss differences of opinions and strategies moving forward within a sort of um, safe environment. Safe and supportive environment seems an odd place to have me a part of when you think about it <laughs> well this is why this is one of my tasks <laughs> okay so now that we've uh done the obligatory navel gazing what i really want to talk today Catherine, was a little bit more expansively about you know some of the the issues concerns problems successes that you feel happen um with women in law with women in big law in particular if you're a young woman about to go into that field um, you've gotten your job at whatever firm. You know, what, what should you prepare to, to have to deal with? I mean, I think it's very similar in, for a lot of professional women or uh, other minority groups. And I think that particularly in the last couple of weeks, the whole hashtag Me Too has become something that we've talked a lot about within the Jabot and on the ATL website as well. I think that that's obviously a risk for any kind of professional woman when they're trying to establish their career and even, you know, more established careers, it doesn't mean that you're can't be victimized just because you've reached a certain status in your career. It may be less likely to happen, but it's certainly not impossible. And to say otherwise is is a little bit problematic. And so we've been really talking about the ways in which there's kind of this um residual opinion that just because you went to law school, you're a smart woman, you must be self-possessed enough to not be abused or to not be harassed or to know what to do if it does happen to you. Um, this is the Ivanka Trump theory of the world, right? It's she That does uh, exemplify it, but she's certainly not the only one. And uh, I've been pretty vocal that I don't think that a law degree uniquely insulates you from any of these things. Um, we've heard stories that our readers have sent to us um, about all sorts of harassment and assaults that have happened within law firms. These are lawyers or other legal professionals who, despite being aware of the law, was not following it. <laughs> uh, but do you think that the legal community is particularly susceptible to this or perhaps better than other professions? And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously I agree with you and I agree with where I think you're going um, with your previous statement that, you know, obviously just because you have this degree or just because you're around people who arguably know what the law should be doesn't protect you, doesn't insulate you. I, I totally um, agree with that statement. But I'm wondering, and I'm wondering about your impression here, if we think that the law is a better industry to go into as opposed to, say, Hollywood, as that's been in the news, or 
a banking kind of community, a finance kind of community, or you know, other types of professions out there? Is law kind of better, worse, probably the same? Like, what do you think about that? I mean, I think the important thing is that we continue to hear stories from every single industry. Um, this is not something that is industry specific. I would don't think that there's well, there's not a particularly good amount of statistics about this, but comparing one industry to another. But I would certainly say that, you know, the legal industry is not isolated. But one thing that we are seeing is that any time where uh, there are long hours, where as a result of that, you may have a more um, familiar relationship with your coworkers, um, these sorts of environments are ripe for abuse. When, you know, the only way to get staffed on a case is if you're in a kind of a firm or company where oh, well, you're hanging out with the boys late at night or, you know, the managers who are all men who all like to, you know, gather at the same Irish pub down the block. And there are situations which develop which are more familiar where lines can get blurred. And those are the kinds of situations I think that are most ripe for abuse. You know, we talk, you and I talked about this the other day while you were working on a story that there's obviously a lot of similarity to these stories, hence, you know, the virality of this hashtag. Mm -hmm. But there's also some level to which I think some ways that the legal profession believes that it's insulated is it doesn't understand that not, even though there's a lot of similarities, things can be different. That you don't need a executive who has power over life and death to have these sorts of abuses. Uh, the structure of a law firm isn't necessarily as hierarchical. There's lots of diffuse layers of power with partners running their little fiefdoms, whatever. But that doesn't change the fact that people can be abused. It just it just changes the ways in which it can happen. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it may be true that there are 100 partners at your law firm. So, you know, quote unquote, you can always find work with another partner. But the reality is these partners often will run their groups or their departments as little fiefdoms. They may inadvertently punish people who have rejected their advances, even if they're just trying to avoid an uncomfortable situation after a woman has turned down their advances, they start staffing men on their projects instead. And as a result, their hours, all of a sudden, this woman's hours are have taken a hit and they don't get the bonus that they would have otherwise received if the person in power the person who's still getting their million-dollar partnership disbursement at the end of the year, if they had not come onto and created this uncomfortable, harassing, and potentially abusive situation, this woman would have potentially still gotten her bonus. And so these are the kinds of situations we do see a lot of time. And the reality is that diverse systems of power, like law firms, often mean there's no accountability, yeah. right? It's hard to say to a partner you may you know, have some sort of a mentorship relationship with, but are in a totally different practice group, hey, you know, this corporate partner is really kind of making me uncomfortable. If it's a litigation partner you're talking to, they can't give you more work. They can't really step on the toes of another partner, particularly if, you know, they're working on litigation for that corporate client that the corporate partner brought it in the first instance. And it depends on how the firms are organized. And that's one thing, too. I know we have listeners who know all this because they've been in firms, but we also have listeners who are in law school or maybe contemplating law school. Different law firms have different structures. And while the kind of the traditional structure is one where there are multiple partners all doing their own thing, there are others that are becoming very much Fortune 500 companies with chief executives who have the ability to 
have issues elevated to them, but it really does depend. And it's something that if you're looking into where you want to work, you should seriously consider the structure of the firm you want to work at, because it's, it's one of those things you never really think of on your own, but that can change your whole experience. And you don't always know how those, even if you're aware of how a firm is organized, you may not be aware of how that plays out in your life and your day to day. I think the most important thing man, woman, or anyone going into a law firm, the biggest thing that affects your day-to-day happiness is the manager you're directly working for. Um, You may not know who that is, and you should be aware going in whether or not it's easy to switch groups that you're working for or cases that you're on so that if you are put in an uncomfortable situation, you have a way out. Yeah. Speaking of ways out, are are there best practices for getting out? Of big law or? (laughs) Besides, exactly, besides leaving the profession entirely. Like when you find yourself with a, let's say, lecherous manager, perhaps his behavior has not risen to the level where you have an actionable lawsuit yet. Perhaps it has and you don't want to spend the next five years of your life fighting that lawsuit. What should you do? I'm a little bit um, hesitant to say that there are best practices because once you put out there that this is what one should do, anyone who doesn't follow the play-by-play is put under suspicion. Right, right. No, that's um, that's a good point. So what, I don't want I don't want to do say that, more, but things yeah. that you should look for are other allies within the firm that you can talk to, other people on the same set of cases, people who used to work at the law firm, and any kind of mentor kind of situation I think is always going to be beneficial for all sorts of um, diverse populations in law firms. But, you know, the number one priority I think always is get yourself out as safely as possible. If you're in a bad situation, do the best you can in that moment. You don't know exactly what it'll be like. And hopefully I think the result of a lot of this Me Too stuff is that people will listen and hear and you'll feel comfortable talking about it. But if you don't, that's okay too. Still support you. (laughs) One thing I know, and and, you know, the minority experience at these firms is a little bit different than the woman experience at these firms. And in part because of what I'm about to say, right? One of the things that I know that lots of minorities do for each other is that, you know, you you warn who's coming next, right? You you have a bad experience with a particular partner, perhaps even a particular whole firm. And it's not the kind of thing where, again, like I said, just not necessarily rising to the level of a lawsuit, even if you want to fight one. But as you kind of, if as the next kind of crop of young associates come in, you kind of pull them inside and say like, hey, you don't want to work with Bob. I'm just telling you, you don't want to work with Bob. Is that something that, that happens in the minority communities in part because they're smaller? Uh, at these firms? I, mean, I think that... Oh, one of the things we have heard a lot in these stories is that there's this whisper network where women are warning other women to the extent that they can. Personally, I know that I have been warned against working late nights for certain partners or senior associates at a firm, um, and that if I did make sure I document it, make sure somebody else besides that person is in the building. And, you know, this was quite a few years ago now, but somebody, um, the previous person who had worked for um, in the specific job I had had left a note on the desk uh, in the computer for the next person who was taking over. And that was part of it. Um, And so then when I left the job, I did the same thing for the person, another woman who was taking over the job from me. I had one opportunity to work for that person, but I was very clear. Oh, I'm going home at seven. I can't stay today. You know, because uh, I didn't want to put myself in that situation. I had been warned and I took it 
<laughs> I took it. <laughs> I took that advice. But for sure, there was a note like saved and it was a Word document locally before they kind of wiped it or it might have been long enough ago. And the firm may not have been technologically savvy enough to know to wipe it. And it was to whom it may concern. And it was it was detailing all of this, the things that had happened. They had sent a copy as well to HR on their way out the door, saying that if other people had complaints against this attorney, that they would um, be willing to testify, even though they didn't want to pursue anything themselves because they were, you know, leaving the firm. And uh, I was, you know, hand given this and I that that was very powerful to me. It was my first big job. Yeah. Yeah. What are some uh, that's that's an uh, I don't know how to respond to that other than ick. Uh, <laughs> what what are some and again I'm going to use the term best practices with your caveat that just if you're not following those best practices doesn't mean that you're um, a horrible person. What should we expect from male allies in these situations? What can men do who you know maybe they're not themselves the harasser but they know about it same kind of whisper network that you're talking about they know about it they see it they're aware of it what should male allies do um in that situation say something i think would be the first it's you know usually when you're talking about serial abusers that there's not it's you're rarely in a situation where it's the first time this is happening you know this is somebody who's put somebody repeatedly in uncomfortable situations you know you're eating pizza with your whole team you know late night and somebody keeps on making comments about so and so's outfit or cleavage or boyfriend or making them you know deliberately making them uncomfortable and instead of just laughing it off and saying oh well that's just bob i guess that's what bob's just like you know i think that saying something or trying to do you know direct the conversation in in more comfortable places for everyone i think it's important for people who want to be allies of any um, variety that they recognize that if they see it it's their problem and they can't close their eyes to it it's there, you know it, and it's it's if you care, you it's your responsibility to say something. No one else is going to do it but you. No one. There's no one. There's no one else coming. It's only us. Yeah. I, what? Uh, uh, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, go. No, no. I just was going to say I, I feel bad for every lawyer named Bob. <laughs> oh, we, sorry. No. I didn't. We've, yeah. we've really repeatedly gone after this poor fictional Bob. And <laughs> there are bad Bobs that we're talking about, but they're they're good ones they're, too, they're as far as we Bobs. know. Dude, Bob's a dick. Uh, All right. So moving on from harassment issues, what other kind of suite of issues um, should women about to enter this profession, young women in this profession, what else are we talking about here? Because it's not just, you know, it's not just you have to worry about the creeper um, in the corner office, right? Sure. Well, you know, to kind of get back to your earlier rant, certainly um, family leave is something I think that is that all prospective lawyers should be should care a lot about. Not only what programs does the firm that you're potentially looking at working at, what programs do they offer? I think that's obviously first and that's important. But also at what rate are those programs utilized? It's one thing if you can take up to four months off to be with your newborn child if no one takes it or the people who do take it leave shortly after they do because they feel like they're being pushed out of the firm, uh, we did an interview with a big law associate who had recently returned from maternity leave, and t- she talked about being 
almost hazed when she returned. The partners that she worked for, the senior associates, were trying to see whether or not she still had the stuff to put in the late night hours that she did before she had her child. So with an infant at home, she was being asked to spend nights in the office doing work that, you know, was much more appropriately given to more junior associates than herself. But she was given the work just to see if she would still tough it out, to see whether or not she had the stuff to continue, you know, on the partnership track. And and that's that's awful. That happens a lot, though. I mean, I, I've got some stories from that of that nature as well. And, uh, you know, that's not just like jerk off male managers doing that. That Sometimes that's that's female managers doing the exact same thing. Sure, I think the the patriarchy certainly affects every member of society, which includes women. We certainly internalize a lot of this, uh, these issues as well, and see, you know, trying to prove ourselves and to prove that we're the cool person at the table and whatnot. But I, I think that. Asking that follow-up question about the ways in which these programs, which I think that a lot of big law firms are trying to make headway to offer more opportunities, offer more programs, which is great. And I don't want to you know, say that that's a bad thing, but we should also be asking that next level of who's taking it, what's the experience like. If you've got an offer from a firm, asking perhaps if you could speak to someone who's a parent at the firm to see what their experience is like, whether or not you have kids, but you expect them, you know, you want them in your life and in your future just to see what it's like for people who are going through it at the firm. And once you've already had that offer in hand, you're free to ask a lot more honest questions as well. Sure, but I think we both know that like that's not a question that that a lot of people, men or women, are focused on when they're 25, 26, coming out of law school and looking to make money. Lots of people are coming well, that, into these that's why we're. that's why I'm talking about it right the, now. <laughs> that's why I think that that's something people should care about. That's why it's not just a question for people who are currently mothers um, who are looking at law firms, but people who think that not just not just children, you know, a lot of people are put in positions of responsibility for their aging parents, for other family members that may have, you know, tragic illnesses or accidents or aging. There's lots of reasons why... Our families are something that take a lot of our time, and it's it, a parental leave is one easy way to kind of see how a firm reacts when you have a personal life and you're forced to do something for your personal life. And you shouldn't have to sacrifice your personal life. It makes you a better lawyer. It makes you less likely to get burned out if you're able to, you know, take the time to go to your sister's wedding, <laughs> you know, or or to, you know. Take some time off if you're adopting a child and figuring out what those programs are that your firm has and also how likely it is that people are using them is is a good and important thing. That utilization is a big point, too, because as another sad factor of this industry is that and lots of industries in late stage capitalism here is that these benefits may exist, Mm -hmm. but they don't really exist. Absolutely. And I think that, and it's easy to say, you know, especially during OCI or something, be like, oh yes, this is our program. It's amazing, this parental leave. And that's something, you know, the recruitment departments are happy to talk to you about and tout and to, you know, plaster you with. But asking that often once you've already gotten the offer, (laughs) asking that next level question of how many people use it, what percentage, you know, and that kinds of, those kinds of questions I think are where you get the more honest expectation of what your life at that law firm will look like. Sorry, I'm still kind of hung up on the fact that I unwisely, apparently, 
left my ability to do document review um, before I could use it to get out of my sister's wedding. That would have been <laughs> awesome upon reflection. Um, Catherine, take us out of here with a positive. Something is anything good happening um, with four women who are who are working in big law? Anything? I'll take anything at this point. Uh, I mean, partnership numbers are up. Not much. Still proof that there's a serious problem. Women advocates in front of the Supreme Court are winning at a higher rate than men. There are many fewer of them, of course. Of course. Um, I think that um, Empirical SCOTUS just did a report that said that of oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court, women are clocking in just under 18 percent of the time. But they do tend to be more successful than their male counterparts. Yeah, uh, you can so tell you guys went to CCN. I got my positive woman thing. <laughs> Women uh, make up the majority of the Harvard Law Review editorial oh, yes. board for the first time in history. That yay. Is, yay. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's not Yale, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Baby steps, man. Baby steps. <laughs> oh, my God. What the fuck am I? All right. Let's, All right. Let's leave before I have to kill Joe. Thanks, Catherine, for talking about this. Uh, and if you are listening and want to join the Facebook group, it's the Jabot. It's closed, but you can apply. And I'm sure our our trusted operators standing by will uh, approve that application if you're not a troll. If you want to read any of the stuff that any of the three of us are writing, uh, we're at Above the Law, as always. You can also follow us on Twitter. He's at Ellie. NYC. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, K A T H R Y N One. I guess there's a million ways to spell Catherine, so it's worth pointing out. Also, you should be subscribed to this podcast. If you aren't, do that now. We'll wait. Now that you've subscribed to this podcast, you should give it a review and talk about how awesome it is and spread the word. The more you review it on your podcast delivery device of choice, the uh, better it is to be found by other people. Uh, the LTN app also will give you access to all the other LTN podcasts that are out there. And that, I think, is everything I need to say. So with that, we are out of here. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. See you next time. Bye. Yeah, see you there. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Halfway through that episode, guys, my dog started furiously humping my leg. Which she almost <laughs> never does. Like, she, she's <laughs> 13 goddamn years old. She's done that like maybe like five times in her life. Just furiously start upping my leg. Awesome.